Alex Marlowe. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. A little different show today. This is going to be our long-form interview with House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy of California, who, which was conducted by Matt Boyle, our Washington Bureau Chief. We go pretty deep on this one. We talk about the promise of amnesty if he becomes Speaker of the House. He says it's not going to happen. He says he's going to be stripping some of the more radical Democrats of their committee posts and much more. It's pretty good stuff from Matt and from the future Speaker. But first, I'm going to tell you about American Hartford Gold. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's noticed. Everything is getting expensive. We're in the biggest economic crisis since 2008, with the government that's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years, and inflation is here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world's reserve currency. So, how do you protect your money? your retirement, your savings, well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help you move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market and into a precious metals IRA, and they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau, and they have thousands of satisfied clients. And if you call them right now, they'll give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 866-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. Or text ALEX to 65532. Again, 866-670-7660. Or text ALEX to 65532 for American Hartford Gold. Leader McCarthy, thanks for joining us here on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. First off, you just finished a pretty long floor speech not too long ago at eight and a half hours. You set the new record in the House of Representatives. You beat Speaker Pelosi. Uh, Tell us about that speech. Well, I'll tell you, I didn't set out to break a record. I wanted to break down the bill for the American public. And when I went in there, I had written a speech that would probably take about an hour. And in in Congress, the leaders get what is called a magic minute. But when I started talking, you could hear the Democrats getting more upset with the more I told America about the bill. I even quoted some of the Democrats. I I was quoting um, Congresswoman Spanberger from Virginia when she said that they didn't elect Joe Biden to be FDR. And I don't know if the public could hear, but in the back of the room, Congresswoman AOC yells, I did. And then Tim Ryan, who tries to portray himself as a moderate, is one of the most leftist socialists you could find. He was partnering with AOC, and they would they would try to taunt me, to try to interrupt me. And it only made me go longer. And then once Speaker Pelosi realized I wasn't going to give back the mic, she got angry, and she, she would walk around and tap all the Democrats and tell them to leave. She, she had people go to the parls to try to find a way to take my time away, but she couldn't, it, the rules. And so once they all left, they were yelling bye to me, and I said, that's fine, I'm gonna stay, and I wasn't speaking to you, I was speaking to the American public. But what's most interesting, they would go to the back inside the cloakroom and, and watch me live. So I knew they were frustrated because the truth was coming out. So you were not just making the case against this one Biden agenda bill, though. You were also laying out a broader takedown, if you will, of the way life is right now in Democrat-controlled government. Well, the whole uh, principle in, uh, I laid contrast out. with the yeah. Democrats. Think about America: one-party rule in one year. What has happened? And this bill would culminate a lot of that and even make it harder for us. But under this one-party rule by Democrats having the House, the Senate, and the White House, are we better off? No. Our borders are open. We now have inflation created by them on their first bill. Um, we got crime in our streets based upon their defunding of the police. All these principles that they have. We got gas prices going off the roof and a president who looks to OPEC to solve these problems, why he cuts American jobs with Americans' ability to be energy independent. We proved we could do that by lowering the price. All these challenges that American families have today, the struggles, were all created by this one-party rule. And we can change all that in less than a year. So you mentioned Spanberger saying that, oh, she didn't like Biden to be FDR. I think some of her other so-called self-described moderate Democrat friends have tried to call themselves the normal Democrats. I think I saw that. I think it was Connor Lamb and some of the other ones that were pushing that. 
Is there anything normal about what's happening under complete Democrat control in Washington, D.C.? Well, no, you know, I would say they, they could have that definition if they lived that way. They voted exactly the same as AOC and Nancy Pelosi. So the only norm is the new socialist Democrat. They will go out and try to market themselves different, but they have given the socialists the power. Because it only takes four Democrats to stop any bill on the floor. Only one of them voted against that. All these other Democrats have voted for it and walked lockstep uh, in, in building inflation and not securing the border, in letting crime continue to rise. And what have they done about the gas prices? They've only empowered OPEC to be stronger and Russia with Putin. And look what Putin has been doing, uh, bringing havoc throughout Europe. So what we want to do in this interview, we kind of have uh, three major parts that we really see. Uh, okay. And the first part is we want to lay out just how bad it is under Democrat control, uh, Washington, D.C., and just how bad they've really screwed things up in just the first year. Uh, the second part is we want to kind of lay out your strategy of how to get back to the Republicans back into power in Washington, D.C. Obviously, we've got the midterm elections coming up in uh, November. And then the third part is when you guys get there, when you guys get to that majority, Perfect. what are Republicans going to do with it? Starting with that kind of a first part of it, you've already mentioned a few of these things. Uh, let's start with inflation. I mean, this is, uh, the people uh, are just getting through the holidays. They've spent a lot of money, a lot more than they probably would on various things, if they can find them. There are supply chain problems across the board. W what are your thoughts on the inflation issue? What's causing this? How do we fix it? You know, you know what's so sad about having inflation? We, we have not witnessed this type of inflation in more than 30 years. And the sad part is it wasn't just Republicans warning the Democrats when they took over and went to this one party rule where they would pass whatever philosophy and principles they wanted by not working on a bipartisan basis, that they went after that $2 trillion bill when they first came in. They called it a COVID relief, but only 9% went to COVID. And we warned them about it. But the interesting part, it wasn't just Republicans warned. Larry Summers, remember who Larry Summers is, right? Prominent Democrat, worked in the Clinton administration, the Obama administration, said, don't do this, it'll bring inflation. And then the Democrats said, no, 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 it'll just be transitory. And then we found around December, even the Fed said, stop using that word. You had in June the president on a... Um, town hall meeting on CNN says he doesn't know anyone who's, who's uh, nervous about inflation. While every American was out there paying more for their price of food, of gas, of every part of life was costing them more. And we found that um, employers couldn't get somebody to go back to work. Why? Because that one party rule as well, that policy where government paid people more to stay home hurt the small business that barely surviving if they could through COVID, and now they had to pay more for an individual to get there. When you add that much of money supply in, it's every economist will tell you you're gonna create inflation, and they doubled down on it. And that's the real fear with reconciliation, that they're gonna spend $5 trillion. Now, put that in perspective, and in today's money, that's more money than we spent to win World War II. And what are they spending it for? Just on their own socialist type programs that they believe in is gonna cause greater inflation and a supply chain that's already broken. Remember when the president went back a, a number of months ago and said he was gonna fix the supply chain, he was gonna make people at the work, ports work 24 seven, then when we found in December, that day made no difference whatsoever because he, the core of the problem is he's relying on other countries for their products instead of having America make the products and send them overseas. We've seen these ships off the coast of California, uh, elsewhere too, around the uh, around the country, all waiting out there, waiting to get unloaded, and so on and so forth. Are we too dependent on China and other countries for yes. producing stuff? How do we fix that? We fix that by focusing on an American first agenda, and that, that's what Republicans have been doing. I mean, when I sit, I'm from California. I look at those ships; never seen these many ships before, and the worst part is they're coming in and unloading, and you know what's happening? They're going back empty. Now, I want to see our ports full, but I want to see our ports full with American products going into on the ships, selling them in other countries. A couple reasons why that, the cause of that's happening. 
cost of energy to produce something in America, competitively not getting there. In reconciliation, they give a tax advantage if you're domicile in another country instead of here. We've watched what they've done with just trying to get workers, where government has competed and with business to say, I'll pay you more to stay home. So now we've got a workforce that more people are staying home when they could fulfill these jobs. It's their policies that made our supply chain worse, that made us more dependent on other nations. I mean, the president, can you imagine, the president of the United States goes into office and shuts down an American pipeline, but okays Putin for a pipeline in Europe. Then when when he shuts down our ability to drill on federal land, our ability to get renewal to, be, to make it more difficult for the capital, for those to go out and explore, the price of oil goes up. And when he does that, what is his answer? Is to release 50 million barrels of um, crude? That doesn't do anything. The price doesn't go down. And then at the same time, he denies further exploration um, for America. He asks OPEC to produce more. He blames OPEC. And a lot of this, you study history because history repeats itself. At any given time, and you're, you're younger than I am, you won't remember this. You may not have been born in that time. In the late 70s, 1979, we had a president in Jimmy Carter who had this talk at the White House where he put a sweater on and he told Americans to turn the heater down that we needed to expect less of America, right? We're hearing that from the White House, that we should expect less for Christmas. We should expect less as Americans. I disagree that wholeheartedly. We, in that year, you only filled your gasoline tank up if your license plate ended in even on even numbers and on odd on odd days because we were reliant upon OPEC instead of American energy. In that time, we had inflation, much like we have today. At that time, we had a president that had a brother named Billy Carter that had challenges because it was told that Libya had invested in a business with him. Now we have President Biden who has a son called Hunter Biden that we're finding are their ties to China. There are so many similarities. We had a challenge in the late 70s where Americans were held hostage in the Middle East. How many Americans are still stuck in Afghanistan? We had a challenge where a president tried to rescue those hostages and, he, and, and the helicopters couldn't even land property, they crashed. So our allies around the world didn't really trust us and our enemies didn't fear us. Now we watch what President Biden did in the dysfunction of Afghanistan where there's 13 new Gold Star families. You had left American citizens back when he told us a month before he would not leave till they were all out gave the wrong message to our adversaries and the wrong message to our allies. It made America weaker. All those same similarities. And how did America come out of that? With strong conservative principles, we stopped inflation, made our economy stronger by cutting regulation, lowering taxes. We, we rebuilt our military. Um, we defeated the Soviet Union. Um, we watched the independence and the growth of our economy, and we watched America become energy independent, which made the world safer. So on energy policy, uh, energy policy is in, in many ways the driver, the engine of our economy. Uh, we saw under President Trump, we were energy independent for the first time in modern history. I, 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 don't, I can't remember another time where we were ever energy independent. Biden undoes that immediately by stopping the drilling and exploration uh, for oil and natural gas on uh, federal lands and then cutting off the Keystone XL pipeline. You mentioned that. You mentioned the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. He's letting the Russians do natural gas, but not here in the United States. Connect the dots for us here about how important energy policy is to all of this because you see it affecting our gas prices affecting more broadly the economy it's probably caught driving up the cost of prices of goods on the shelves because of shipping costs going up and so on and so forth how interconnected is energy policy to everything energy policy connected in many different ways one with the economy simply because if you have a lower gas prices people have more money they have the ability to produce the products here in America and compete overseas. It also has to do with geopolitical. The world is safer when America is energy independent because when America is energy independent, we're not just for America. We are the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. It's also to deal with the environment. A pipeline is the safest way to move it, not offshore. And The, the other part you have to think, if, if we're not producing it, we're still consuming it. 
So where are we getting this from? We're getting it from other countries. We're getting it from other countries that don't have the same beliefs that we do. They don't produce it the same environmentally sound way that we do. You know, when you look at um, CO2 emissions, America has lowered theirs more so than any other country combined than what we've been able to do recently. And we did it at the same time that we became energy independent because we focused not just on natural gas, and think of this, natural gas produced in America is 42% cleaner than the natural gas that's produced in Russia. Why does Putin want another pipeline to produce natural gas to Europe but can control Europe? He uses the pipeline as control over those countries. It makes him stronger and his form of government stronger, which is a challenge of, um, to America, and it makes Europe not safe. And one thing Republicans did a couple years back when we were in the majority, we lifted the export ban. So we were producing more jobs in America, we were producing more natural gas in an environmentally sound way, and we started exporting it. So your first question was, how do we bring more jobs here but export our products? We used to start building ports to import natural gas. When we lifted that and allowed and unshackled what held us back, God has, has blessed America with a lot of natural resources. We can use all the above lower our CO2 emission and become energy independent and lower our gas prices, which helps the average American. And not being reliant upon OPEC makes the Middle East, America, the entire world safer because of it. And more jobs that are created in America. It's not, and these are good paying jobs, but when he cut the pipeline those first days, he shut down restaurants, he shut down hotels, he shut down good paying jobs being laid off. If you listen to somebody like a Secretary Buttigieg, right, like he'll say, well, go buy an electric car if you can't uh, afford gas prices. Why do you think they're doing that? Why Do you think that this is by design? Do you think that they're doing it, it, it on purpose? Well, if you listen to the White House, they say having a high price of gasoline is good, right? Because their whole plan is, is all about the Green New Deal, right? There is a bridge before you ever move from a combustion engine or others. If you have an electric car, you have to charge it. You have to have electricity for it. Um, if you want to buy an electric car, they're about $50,000. I remember this in your floor speech. Uh, you, you said you were talking about this. You were like, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I would love to buy a Tesla. I can't afford I can't, one, I, look, right? Yeah, I'd love a Tesla, but I can't afford a Tesla. And how many Americans can't afford a Tesla? I can't. But, but in their reconciliation bill, they reward those. But they reward people that already have the wealth to do it. But then they're punishing those that are working day to day, hour to hour, paycheck to paycheck, they're making them pay more. So they're making those families sacrifice for a family making $800,000 a year, you're gonna subsidize an electric car for them? One of the things that's underlying all of this stuff, so we've got the economy problems, we've got the energy problems, we still have a pandemic out there. Remember, Joe Biden said he was gonna shut out the virus, he was gonna shut down the virus virus isn't gone. Uh, there have been more deaths under Joe Biden as president in less time than there were under President Trump as president. And uh, Joe Biden's presidency started with three vaccines. So put it apples to apples. Joe Biden said in his debate, if anyone was president and ha he gave a number of the number of deaths because of COVID should no longer be president. He has surpassed that number. He's had vaccines, which I think is tremendous that we are even America ingenuity to be able to create vaccines, not one, but three in that amount of, about a time with the amount of testing we did and everything else. President Trump deserves a lot of credit for that. And here Joe Biden walks into a presidency with vaccines able to provide to the American public and he has more deaths. He doesn't have a game plan. And what does he do to those first responders, those in the health industry, those who at supermarkets, the policemen, the firemen, who are heroes in the first year of staying on the job, keeping America working. Now he mandates to them and fires them. In a time of an economic crisis, he's got this backwards. So the speaking of that standard that he set for himself, right? Like, so, I mean, he literally said that if you hit this number, you shouldn't be president anymore. Should he step aside as president? Well, does he keep to his word? He also said he wouldn't leave Afghanistan until every American was out. He lied to us in weeks. Time after time after time. Watch what he has done to our border. In a less amount of time, if you add up the last three years, 2018, 2019, and 2020, and you take all the illegal crossings, 
He has surpassed that in a short amount of time. Because what did he do? How much money did he spend to not build the wall? And what he's finding is his policies are wrong. And this, this is what the next election should be about. This one party rule in one year, all the problems have brought, brought us. Policy matters. The sad part about all of this, if Joe Biden would have been sworn into office and just sat there and done nothing, America would be stronger today. On China, the Biden administration says that they're going to do a, quote, diplomatic boycott of the Olympics. We haven't done anything to hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for the coronavirus pandemic they unleashed upon the world, whether it was in a lab or whether it was an accident or whether it came from nature. It started in China. We know that. There are massive human rights abuses happening in China uh, with regard to the Uyghur Muslims, uh, the, the, the camps that they have, and so on and so forth. The Biden administration's response is a quote-unquote diplomatic boycott. Uh, those people weren't even invited anyway to the Olympics. I mean, what do you think about this? Should we be pulling out of the Olympics? Why would the world reward China with the Olympics again? This will be twice, and it hasn't been in America, when we know where COVID came from. Why wouldn't China be the very first to want to know where it originated from? How was it created? We get new variants and new variants with the millions of people around the world. Why do they threaten countries who want to know the origins of COVID? To say that you're, not, you're just not sending diplomats, they probably couldn't have gone anyway because of COVID. Where is the strong leadership? Why didn't the world get together and say, we're going to hold the Olympics, but they're not going to be in China? and just move it to another location. That would be leadership. But time and again, we've watched this president send China the wrong message. Why don't they hold China accountable? I mean, when I look what China has done, in the last administration, I mean, in the uh, Obama administration, Xi Jinping promised Obama that the islands they were building would not be weaponized, and they're weaponized. We watched that China promised the world that for 50 years, Hong Kong would be the same. No, they moved in. They knocked down democracy. China threatens Australia when Australia wants to find out where COVID originated from. How many promises have they made to us that they have not kept? Why would we expect any different behavior from China if this administration is not going to hold their feet to the fire. The last thing I really want to hammer down here on this first part, and then I want to get into the battle map and strategy of how you guys are going to take back the majority, the border. So uh, we've talked a little bit about this already. Uh, it's totally out of control. They, all that he did was when Biden came he in. He opened the door. Right. And he, he, he just he ripped just up did, everything Trump did. He didn't just open the door. He, he hung a welcome sign and encouraged you to come. But remember what happens when you do that. You don't just get people illegally coming. You empower cartels. There's going to be human trafficking. There's going to be deaths. And then, speaking back to China, where does fentanyl come from? From China. It has increased in America by more than 300%. Every single city in America is a border city today. And if you speak to any of those communities along the border, I talked to one mayor. He has to shut down his school just in the first nine months 46 times. You know why? Because the car chases from the cartels coming across and the shooting. The kids in the school. You talk to the ranchers where they're getting the either grandkids kidnapped or their, their houses burnt down. Why? Because they want a free run across. Then we find that this president, he's tying the hands of the border agents that are working overtime to try to protect us. He's encouraging people to come here illegally. And then what we found is that he lies to the American public. When finally the American public sees those hundreds of thousands of people under the bridges, you got a secretary who says we're going to send them back, but they lie to the American public. We find out months later that they flew them all different places in America. No one being tested for COVID. But he's saying Americans can't go out because of COVID. And then the, the dirty little secret here, the part that scares me the most, a, a number of our members went down to the border. And we went down very early once the administration changed this behavior and these policies. When I was there, I was speaking to a border agent just there in El Paso. And he told me that they're seeing more drugs than they've ever seen, that they're catching people on the terrorist watch list. It's not just people from Central America, it's 160 different countries. But they have been catching people from Yemen who are on the terrorist watch list. Why would they be coming to America that way? What do they have planned for America? And 
the fear I have now with what has happened in Afghanistan, people know how to come here and they come from all other countries. This is a real threat to America. Because when they caught the people from Yemen, they didn't catch them on the same day. And now the administration will not release the number of people on the terrorist watch list that they are catching. And when I first brought this forward at the uh, press conference, a Democrat on the other side of the aisle said I was lying. And you know what's interesting? That Democrat sits on the Intel Committee. And that Democrat never apologized or did anything about it now. So if they knowingly have this information, and the administration does, they need to put a stop because you need to protect America. And the interesting part, here's President Biden has been in elected office for more than 40 years, right? The closest he ever came to the border is driving by it in El Paso one time. Why wouldn't he go visit it and know firsthand? It's a responsibility and a problem he created with his own policy. There wasn't one bill passed. It's his policy with one party rule that has weakened America, put us in greater danger, and has spread COVID as well because of what's coming across. Okay, so to retake the House majority, you guys need to flip a net five seats back from the Democrats. You're a lot closer than you were going into the 2020 elections. How do you do it? I, we have a plan to do it, but I first, I want to credit you. Because in the last election cycle, you and I sat down on your radio show. Nobody else in the country believed we could win seats. I mean, every pollster said we would lose 15 seats in the last election. I remember all the, the pundits, Cook yeah. Political Report, Larry Sabato, all of them predicting you were going to lose seats. All these who make money, who make money by telling people what's going to happen, okay? And also, remember all the articles, like I wasn't no longer going to be a leader because we were going to lose 20 seats. All this for that. You know the interesting part? They got the number right, the party wrong. The interesting part is when you and I would talk about these races and we would bring up the policy, but we would bring up the candidates that we recruited. The interesting part is it's the first time in the last election, it's the first time since 1994 that no Republican incumbent lost. Not one Republican incumbent lost. We beat 15 Democrats. Every Democrat lost to a Republican woman, a Republican minority, or a Republican veteran. Can you believe that? We, we it's an incredible story. We elected more Republican women in the history of Congress in the last election. So now we're five seats away. That's the closest majority the Democrats have had in more than 100 years. Okay? So that's what happened in the past. Now let's first talk about the history in America. So why do we think we can win? Okay? Unbeknownst of what's going on out there, there's a couple things you want to look at. You want to look at the generic ballot. That's a, a macro view of where the country lies. If you go back in May, the generic ballot was D plus 9. It was an advantage for the Democrats. That generic ballot has to be a D plus 4 or less for Republicans to have the ability of an atmosphere to win. You know, by December of last year, that had gone to R plus 5. And that's because of the one-party rule and all the policies these Democrats have created. We watch that flip, okay? So that means the climate could be good. We watch what happened in Virginia and New Jersey of always these off-year elections. They've always been early indicators what would happen in Congress. With New Jersey and Virginia going together, in 93 they both went Republican and then the House flipped Republican. In 2005, they both went Democrat and the House flipped Democrat, right? Now, these states perform differently. They're much more blue. But Biden won Virginia by 10. He won New Jersey by 16. And we flipped Virginia and really came, people weren't playing there, but we could have won New Jersey. In New York, the Democrats have put on the ballot H.R. 1, their number one, trying to change election law. That was defeated. In Minneapolis, where this defund the police started, they voted against it. Then out on the West Coast, we elected a city attorney, Republican, who believed in law and order. So it's, it shows better. The other thing you want to look at are retirements. If they start retiring, they understand what's going. And remember what history says. Since World War II, whichever party wins the White House, Republican or Democrat, on average, they've lost 28 seats in the next election. Now, only two times that didn't happen since World War II, after we impeached Clinton and after 9-11, two special cases. Well, 28 seats are a lot. In 2010, when you, when you knew we, we won 63 seats, only 17 Democrats retired. In the last election cycle, we targeted 55 Democrats, only one of those 55 retired. Do you know by December, 
They broke the record of 2010 retirements. There were 19 Democrats retired as the beginning of December. So what we're seeing is the Democrats know what's going to happen as well. The last thing I really look at is the presidential approval. Anytime the presidential approval is below 50, that party's in trouble. And all those things are lining up. So what that means is there's an opportunity here. But there's something different. It's almost like a perfect storm. It's all, it probably won't happen again for another 50 years, where you have the party in power with a small majority, first time in 100 years of five seats. They just won the White House, so history says they should lose seats. The generic ballot where is and redistricting. Redistricting doesn't matter for the Senate, it only matters for the House, and they only do it once every 10 years, once a decade. They're doing it this year. So there's a really good chance if this election cycle holds and Republicans win, we might be able to have a conservative majority for 10 years because they're not going to change the lines. Republicans should be in the majority today. But Holder and Obama went out, raised money, and sued and they were able to flip more than the five seats of the majority we don't have today by making North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and other states run in new lines. They try to go utilize and use politics in redistricting instead of empowering the people. You mentioned the, the year of the Republican woman, if you will, right? Like, uh, you know, all these uh, exciting young, uh, young women candidates that won in 2020. What are the, the things to look for going into the 2022 elections? Is, is, are there a lot more women running? Are there a lot more minorities running? Or what, what are some of the other things you're looking for with these candidates? And then, uh, you know, lay out how you overcome those. The, the quality of the candidate is the number one attribute of whether you're going to win. We have better candidates running today than at any given time. We have more candidates. We have more diversity, but it's still the conservative view. I mean, think for one moment. When Tony Gonzalez won, he represents more than 42% of the border. Monica de la Cruz is going to become a congresswoman down in southern along the border of Texas, a Latina Republican. We're watching people switch from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. We're watching that in the polling, when you look at the Hispanic support for Democrat-Republican, it's even for the first time. And so you've got like Derek Van Orden in um, Wisconsin who ran against Ron Kine, former Navy SEAL. Ron Kine retired. You, you look at um, across the country, the recruits that we have, they're more fired up because they're watching the country change before their eyes based upon this one-party rule of what the Democrats. So our best ability to win, stop their policies, first of all, recruit very good candidates, conservatives who believe in America and that America is exceptional, and compete. If we can get more Democrats to retire, it's going to let us play in more races. But we're not just going to play in seats that we think we can win. We need to challenge them in every single district in America. And that's my goal. It doesn't matter what Democrat you are, you voted for these policies that harmed America. We're going to challenge you. It doesn't matter that you're sitting in a seat that maybe Biden won by 10 points. I think it could be competitive and winnable this time. That's what Virginia happened, so why can't it happen in other parts of the country? Did you know there's a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? It's AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most important conservative groups in America. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. So join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. So putting together that kind of a full slate of candidates across America, that's a lot of work. Um, but uh, again, um, you know, if you look back to the 2020 cycle, I remember we broke this down. There were 31 seats when we did that interview yes. that were districts that President Trump, Trump had won, won uh, that were represented by a Democrat. And you guys flipped most of them back to Republican. Um, how, how do you break down the various districts out there? What are the kind of the different categories, if you will? For, well, I also look at that, but the difference is going to be there are going to be new districts. So... 
they're going to be new districts, but you still know what the performance are. You've got an, unpre uh, an unpopular president because of unpopular policies. And look, I, I started a, f uh, a site, and I think every American go should go to firepelosi.com. Join us to help this happen. To fire Pelosi once and for all. Um, she's the cornerstone of, of making these bad policies go forward. But what we have is the number of candidates throughout. And I've watched, even if you are in a district, that if you'd take it back and you'd measure it now that Trump didn't win it, I think it's competitive. Because if that election was today, Trump would win it. Because they've been able to see the difference. And anytime you have an election that has contrast, clear contrast, like if Republicans were trusted with the majority, what would you do? And we'll come out with a commitment to America. And what we've been doing for the last year, all the members are in task forces and we've been working on policy. Like we recently rolled out a parent's bill of rights. You look at what happened in Virginia, where the Democrats don't believe parents should have a say in their kids' election. We say that's wrong. We give you a parent's bill of rights to guarantee you have a say. You know what's being taught, what's being read, where's your money being spent. We give you a parent's bill of rights. When the border came out, we had a five-step how to secure the border. When you watch how to deal with China, we came out with a five-step program how to deal with China to know where COVID came from, release all the intelligence. Don't go to the Olympics. Stop gain of function from going to any other country. Um, you know, holding them accountable. If we released all the intelligence, all the other countries would have it as well to know where this COVID started and originated from. Um, we're just going to have the party of the ideas, the party of the parent. And what we're going to do is, you'll find um, later this year, we will roll out a commitment to America. Clear contrast on what our policies are versus the one-party rule. We'll secure the border. We'll stop the inflation, the runaway spending. We'll make your streets safe because we don't defund the police. We fund the police. We stop this releasing everybody out on bail. You'll find we'll make America energy independent. We've done it before. We'll do it again. And when we do that, your gasoline price would lower. Your home heating costs this winter that's going up 50% will be lower. And you know what? More Americans will have jobs because of it. Um, these are just a few of the things that we're rolling out. But we're also going to hold this administration accountable. In the minority, we don't have subpoena power. In the majority, there's a lot of places that we have an accountability project. The first thing we're going to we're going to hold this administration accountable for what really happened in Afghanistan. Who knew what, when, and where? How many Americans are still left there? What equipment was left behind? The knowledge so that never happens again. Then we're going to go after and find out holding China accountable. Where did COVID originate? The gain of function that we've watched Fauci lie about and then have to come forward on. Holding China accountable in this process. Then you know what else we're going to do? We're watching that there's no longer equal justice in America. They have now politicized the Department of Justice. We're going to investigate and hold accountable the National School Board Association with the DOJ. Remember when they made the DOJ go after parents who are going to school board meetings? We've now found from a memo that the National School Board Association met with the president, then a letter came, then the DOJ took that letter to go after parents. Uh, to treat them as terrorists. And the school board uh, association then took back the letter. Why did they do that? Now we're watching the Department of Justice utilize there for political purposes to sue red states about redistricting, but allow a gerrymandering of Illinois, of New York, to hold, or to Oregon. There is no equal justice, and we will have the power to hold accountability for that. We are going to investigate the accountability of the border. Why did the border become insecure? How much money is this administration spending on not building the wall? Um, I think that will change the course. Every, every committee has an oversight mechanism, and we're going to utilize our oversight to hold this administration accountable, which right now is not being done. 
So it sounds like this commitment to America that you're talking about, it sounds like a lot like the contract with America that we heard from Speaker Gingrich back in 1994 when the Republicans really swept into the majority for the first time in decades. On the other side of Capitol Hill, uh, you've got Senate Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, your counterpart over there, uh, the Republican leader in the Senate. He's There have been reports out there that he says, no, maybe we don't need a contract with America. Maybe we, we just uh, beat up on Democrats. I mean, tell us, you know, what do you think Look, about this? I have a different uh-huh. view. I, I don't think majorities are given. I think they're earned. Mm-hmm. I think you also should be very truthful to the American public, what would you do with that majority? It's not just to be in the majority for the sake of the majority. You get in the majority to make America better. And what happens is, if you lay out your agenda, and this agenda is being, we're listening to going out across the country. How do we have um, election reform, right? We've got Rodney Davis going out listening. We've got 23 states that have already improved their election law. How do we make sure the rolls are cleaned up? How do we make sure for IDs and others that you can trust your elections going forward? We want to make sure that happens. And so we continue to work on these collectively together, and then we put policy together. Well, we should show the American public. So when the American public goes to vote, they can have a decision which path do they want to go on. This one-party rule that's brought in this inflation, open borders, unsafe community, or, and a supply change where products are scarce, or do we want something that's going to make our economy stronger, our streets safer, our borders secure, and the next century the American century? Let them make a decision. But then it also holds our feet to the fire and holds us accountable. If we promise to do this, we need to go do this. And not to dwell too much on your counterpart on the other side, but you guys do seem to have different styles of leadership. You've whipped votes against a lot of the Biden agenda. Yeah, there were a couple of Republicans who voted for some of the things, but you've been out there fighting, and he's sometimes not doing that. The the Senate is a different body, but the one thing I would say is we all need to work together to achieve the majority. I'll work with anybody to make America stronger. But I will fight anything that harms America, that brings more inflation and open border and others. And I'm proud of our Republican conference. We've held strong together. And the only challenge has been when something comes over from the Senate with a lot of senators on it that is a bad bill, it's greater pressure on us. Instead of standing together, I mean, when reconciliation was voted for the first time after I gave that speech, the only bipartisan vote was a no vote. And so that makes you stronger when you're standing up together. Now, speaking of some of those Republicans that voted for the the infrastructure bill, for instance, there was 13 of them. There's also a handful that voted for the January 6th committee nonsense stuff. There's also the 10 that voted for impeachment. And then on the other side, you've kind of got, uh, you know, members like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, like uh, Boebert, like uh, Gosar that have had their own issues and so on and so forth. There's been, frankly, some divisions in the conference. And, and, and look, I don't want to harp on this too much because I yeah. think the establishment media does it yeah. uh, to try to hurt Republicans. But how do you unify the team behind that vision that you're talking yeah. about here? You work together on the policies, and, and you, you, you got to put in perspective with, with some of these votes. I mean, the infrastructure bill, once three voted for it, it was going to pass. And the Republicans, it came from the Senate, didn't come from the House. So uh, from that perspective, that's different. Um, the January 6th commission is no different. Every single Republican, even if they vote for a commission, the challenge was Pelosi not giving us everything for it. It was a better position than what this politicized committee is doing now. So I have no ill about any of those. I mean, you vote your district, you vote your conscience, you just don't surprise me. I'm, I'm very happy where this conference is. We're more united. But what the Democrats are doing are trying to divide us, you know. They, they, they go and they, they punished Marjorie for something she did before she was even a member. Where, where, where did that standard ever come from? And they never hold their own members accountable. And this is the difference in the new Congress, right? The things the Democrats have done that Nancy Pelosi has done is burning this house down as she walks out the door. She's taken away the minority's right to have an amendment with a motion to recommit. Um, she said bills didn't have to go through committee, so it empowered. She brought proxy voting, so members don't even have to show up to work to get paid for. You got Democrats sitting on boats that are voting. Um, the one thing I also look at is, yeah, we need to have good policy to win the majority. But what, what will we do in the structure of Congress? Because if you have the same structure, you'll get the same dysfunction. 
What I will end on the first day is there'll be no more proxy voting. That has never been in America. You're going to show up to work. Bills are going to have to go through committee where they're debated. Because in a proxy vote, you're empowering the speaker to have all those votes in their back pocket. Right? And they're writing the bill, calling you back, and then they go through. That's why you get bad policy. You want the light of day. Um, also, the Democrats have created a new thing where they're picking and choosing who could be on committee. Never in the history have you had the majority tell the minority who could be on committee. But this new standard, which these Democrats have voted for, if Eric Swalwell cannot get a security clearance in the private sector, there's no reason why he should be given one to be on Intel or Homeland Security. So that will not, he will not be serving there. Um, so you're going to, yes, if you're the Speaker of the House, you're going to remove him from those committees. Ilhan Omar should not be serving on foreign affairs. What about any committees for Ilhan Omar? You know, this is a, this is a new level of what the Democrats have gone. You look at um, Adam Schiff. He should not be serving on Intel. When he has openly, knowingly now used a fake dossier, lied to the American public in the process, and um, doesn't have any ill will, says he wants to continue to do it. So we're going to reshape. I mean, think about what happened in Afghanistan. Why did Afghanistan collapse so fast? Was the Intel Committee under Adam Schiff focused on impeachment and not on the safety of America? Why are people coming across the border that are on a terrorist watch list? What are they doing about it? And their own members on that committee says it's not happening when it's true. We need to have an Intel Committee that looks at what's happening around the world and keeps America safe. It should do exactly what it was created, overseeing of our agencies and others. And so we're going to hold people to a higher standard in the process if they want to be on the Intel Committee and on the, and on the training of what to be a part of that. Take the politics out of it of what they've been doing. I've looked at and I tried to get a committee on China. I, Pelosi I, walked away from that. She walked away from it. Mm -hmm. When it took me eight months for you to get, and you watch what's happening today, would we have the supply chain problem? We, you know, we did a, a China task force. We didn't stop, and you you read through the recommendations. Those are the things we're going to implement. But America would be stronger today had we been able to do that sooner. There was a report that you had a conversation with Congresswoman Green about some of the members who voted for the infrastructure bill. Um, and she was reportedly satisfied with what you said you were going to do to her about this. We don't know exactly what it was. Can you tell us what you're Look, planning the, to the, do? The one, th the one thing mm -hmm. I believe is the people that are, are causing this problem are not in the Republican conference. They're the Democrats and the Democrats' policy. The more... And the media. Yeah, the media, and the media tries to get Republicans to fight together. Look, I believe in the Re Reagan 11th commandment. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be attacking one another. We have, we know when we attack one another, we empower Democrats. We need to stop that policy of them. We need to unite together and move forward. And that's exactly what we've been doing. And I think members on all sides, bring them closer together, um, stop any infighting. Um, if, we, if a member individually makes a mistake, they apologize for it. They own up to it. They don't, they don't harm the rest of the conference by that. Lauren Boebert made a joke, um, referenced something. She apologized to the public, and then she called Ilhan Omar about it. And then Omar reacted yeah. very viciously. She hung up but on her. But you know, her, for the same point, yeah, what was yeah. interesting, in, in, in that same week, you had a Democrat where the media is all asking me about it, and I like to handle things personally with members. You had a member of the Democratic Party say, I was working with the Ku Klux Klan, but no media asked Pelosi about that. You had Ilhan Omar, who earlier referred to my support in an earlier Congress for Israel was all about the Benjamins, never apologized. I mean, they hold these different standards. We're going to have one standard for all. And um, the, the number one thing I think, too, is not just members of Congress, Republicans across the country, your listeners, think for one moment. Don't allow the pain the Democrats are causing to take our reaction off on Republicans. They're not causing it. Let's unite together, bring independence with us. It's the policy of the Democrats and focus on this election. So let's uh, say you get to the majority. You guys are coming in in 2023. Can you tell us first off, what's your first order of business uh, in a Speaker McCarthy House of Representatives? Grab that gavel. <laughs> <laughs> well, you gotta have the gavel yeah. to govern. But the first thing we're gonna do is we're gonna sit down, we're gonna end proxy voting. 
Okay. Members are going to have to show up to be there. Bills are going to go through committee. But we're going to lay out... A return to regular order. Return to regular order. And we're also going to evaluate these committees, make sure they're not dysfunctional, right? And, and refocus it on what America wants us to be focused on. Uh, we will lay out to the American public the commitment to America. We'll be prepared to govern on the first day. You know, the Democrats laid out a schedule. And then once they won Georgia, they took a recess because they didn't know what to do. You need to be very clear with the American public. We're going to build back the, we're first going to secure, secure the border. We'll come back creating American energy independence with all the above, bringing American jobs back, making sure that lowering our gas price. We're going to curve this runaway spending to stop inflation. We're going to cut regulation. We're going to focus on small businesses that have been trying to survive. We're not going to allow government to make it more competitive with small business that it's better for an American to stay home than go to work. We're going to take away this disincentive to not work. I mean, in reconciliation, they take away work requirements. They take away social security cards um, to, to have a requirement for, uh, for a tax credit that 90% of American families will get they're going to just be getting a check to stay home. That's not right. We want to give you the incentive to go to work. We want to give you incentive, a purpose of being better in the process and having your family stronger. Um, we're going to make sure that we're not defunding of the police. We're going to make sure the Parents' Bill of Rights is passed. Um, we've got a long list of things that need to be fixed and move forward on. Can you pledge to us that uh, Speaker McCarthy led House of Representatives would never consider amnesty legislation? <laughs> Listen, we know first and foremost, one of our greatest strengths is the rule of law. So you have to have an immigration system based upon the rule of law. You have to secure the border. The um, immigration system is broken and we're going to fix it. Yes. Uh, okay, so that's a yes. yes. Okay, so on the Second Amendment, too, same thing. Can you pledge right. to us there's no gun control in a speaker? Listen, the, the one thing I've learned is the Second Amendment is one of the most important amendments, and you look at all my voting record. And listen, you watch this Congress itself. Uh, we, we believe in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now on the oversight front, you mentioned this a little bit, uh, yeah. that you're planning on uh, investigating what happened in Afghanistan. Um, what so are some of the other things that you're doing, getting ready for that moment? Because uh, I, I Well, we've already started the investigation in Afghanistan. This is the challenge with being in the minority. You don't have subpoena power. But I, we've been using in the Intel Committee and Armed Services, we've sent letters to everybody we think to hold the information or the evidence, right, that we can go by and look at. But every single committee in America has an oversight, mm -hmm. subcommittee. We're going to enhance that because we believe in holding this administration accountable. Um, I think when there's sunlight is, things are better. And the one thing we have found in here, Afghanistan, how can you leave Americans behind? Well, how could you have 13 New Gold Star families, why did that take place? Uh, Bagram, why did you close Bagram first? How did the prisoners get out? How much weaponry did you leave behind for the Taliban? Um, why did you tell us that Americans, every American would get out and then you left? All these are answers that we need to know and we, this should be bipartisan. Every American should be upset by this, of what's going on. Our allies are upset what's going on. Then you want to look at what took place with the Department of Justice on utilizing one letter to go after parents and treat them as, as um, terrorists. Why can't we get to the bottom where COVID originated from? Why can't we hold China accountable? And why can't we have the real answer to the gain of function? Did it happen? Did it not? Why does that answer keep changing? And, for, and what's the policy going forward with that? Those are just three different accountability projects that we will be able to oversee by having subpoena power and others to really get to the bottom of it. So who is your point person or point people on oversight matters? Uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, uh, from watching this play out in previous Congresses and so on and so forth that, you know, they're really usually, is, I, I, like I remember in the beginning of the uh, Republicans getting the majority back after 2010, it was Daryl Issa, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was, the, he was the watchdog guy. He was uh, the guy leading the oversight committee. He did Fast and Furious scandal, IRS scandal, Benghazi, et cetera. Uh, so who is your point person or point people? Well, what you this? find is I'm not just going to make one it because every committee has jurisdiction, but you have an oversight committee. You, you want to watch Congressman Comer. He has done a tremendous job already. He will be empowered. But you, you look with, um, in the intel committee, that's where Afghanistan, in the armed service would be Afghanistan. You watch in judiciary, um, 
where Jim Jordan uh, would become chairman. There's a lot of oversight that he could do there. I didn't bring this up yet, but you now have an administration that released private tax forms of Americans. Maybe America didn't get mad because the ones they released were of, wealth, of wealthy link, people. Yeah. yeah, But remember what's happened when you had the Obama and Biden administration last time. They used the IRS to go after people that had given politically to some other direction. Remember, they, they use government to punish people. That's why you've got to stop. You've got to have equal justice in America. But if they could release an IRS, your tax forms, they can do it to any American. And Jim Jordan has the ability to oversee that. You look at in oversight, they have a lot of jurisdiction there. But I want to empower every single committee in their jurisdiction to have the oversight. And this is where I've been working with members now. And we're not waiting till the election. We're trying to do everything we can to bring accountability back. So you've approached your relationships with conservatives differently than some of your predecessors. like Because I'm a conservative. Right. Paul Ryan, John Boehner, I think, had a very different relationship than, than, say, than you do with the, the House Freedom Caucus uh, and other conservatives in the House. Can you tell us about uh, some of the things you're doing differently than they, than they did? What did you learn from, from what they had done in the past? I, I just thought in the past that the, um, the conference got too much into different identities, right? Mm -hmm. I think we're one Republican conference, and I want to treat everybody equal, right? Mm -hmm. And I understand not every person who comes to Washington, even though you come as a Republican, is exactly the same, and every district is not the same. Um, and so you're going to have some difference of opinion, but 90% of your philosophy is completely the same. So work on the things that we agree upon. Bring everybody in. Don't think just because somebody is considered a moderate or conservative, they can only serve on certain committees. We're a microcosm of society, so they should be able to serve everywhere. And I want to have a more open dialogue, and I'm going to be more open when I disagree. You know, the one thing that happens at the end of the day, the conference elects me as leader. I'm going to have to make decisions, but I'm going to make those decisions what I think is best for the country. Some will like it and some will, won't. But, you have the ability to give me your input, but at the end of the day, I'm going to make a decision, and we all have got to work towards forward. I do not like the idea of people going out in the, in the party criticizing one another. Mm -hmm. That's got to stop. Mm -hmm. It's the democratic policy, and I know the frustration that it causes, and these are a lot of things that Pelosi does that try to make Republicans fight among themselves. Let's not take the bait. Let's focus on the American public and work together to make that happen. Right, and so uh, speaking of those committee assignments, um, uh, so do you envision a better way of doing that moving forward yeah. than it happened in well, the past? Because I know we've heard from Freedom Caucus guys that have been upset that they weren't maybe on the A committees. Like, So I know it's a little insider baseball, but like. For the insiders, yeah. I mean, yeah. What, what people probably felt in the past, oh, well, if I had some belief I couldn't be on certain, under my leadership, that's never been the case. You've got Freedom Caucus people who are ranking members of committees. You've got them on every single committee there is. Uh, you've got uh, moderates on every single committee that, uh, but no one's going to be held back. You get elected to this conference from your constituents. When you get into the conference, you get elected to your committees by your conference. And nobody should be withheld from going to it. Now, that doesn't mean you're guaranteed a committee. What's tough is there's only so many slots. So somebody at the end of the day thinks they deserve it. Conference doesn't decide it. But you will not be withheld from it because of the case of what organization internally you belong to. Okay, so now another big issue that uh, people are really focused on in the base, they really want to see Republicans actually do something about this, and they're hoping that if you guys get the majority you do something on it is big tech. How do you do it? Yes. What do you do on big tech? How do you hold them accountable? You know, I've been working on this issue for a long time, and what's interesting, Breitbart, I've got to give Breitbart a lot of credit. When I was in the majority, as majority leader, it was Breitbart that was in my office that we were talking early on of what big tech was doing to you personally. Yep. You've watched them try to stop your articles from going places. Um, and I brought in the CEOs of these companies to testify. The way I look at it is, um, your information is like private property. If they're going to monetize it, you should get a piece of it. But you should be able to delete it and you should be able to transfer it. The other thing is, they cannot be picking and choosing what's on a platform if they want liability protection. So if they want to pick and choose, they're going to lose the right because we should be able to go to court. 
to be able to sue if that's basis. The other thing that we've watched is, I've worked very closely, uh, Jim Jordan, Kathy McMorris, Rogers are coming out with legislation to hold them accountable, to create a platform that you're not penalized by being a conservative and your views are not penalized, that you're picking and choosing, that uh, Iran leader can be up on Twitter but the leader of America, President Trump, cannot. We, we have freedom of speech. You're gonna watch legislation rolled out that changes the course, that protects us in this. And uh, I've watched our members work strongly about this, but this is a goes to the core. We have a task force that Jim Jordan leads on this about freedom. And if you're gonna deny us the right to a voice, you're going against the First Amendment. You're going against the idea that Americans are equal, and we're not gonna stand for that. Another one uh, issue that I think of people really fired up about, we saw this in Virginia in the governor's race, it's critical race theory. It's not just in schools though, it's throughout the federal government. Is that something you're gonna- Critical race against? theory uh -huh. has gone into our military. We've watched this go through our agencies. We've watched it rampant through our businesses and others. This is not good for America. And I think they, they spoke loud and clear in Virginia that we won't stand for that. And we're gonna watch every place that we go to not allow that to happen. So is that something you envision a lot of subpoenas going out across the federal government when, you know, because uh, I- Look, whatever it takes to hold people accountable, mm -hmm. lots of times you might not have to have a subpoena, but if we well, do- Hopefully have they cooperate, yeah. but- If not, we'll find out. And remember, what happens is when, when we brought light to it, mm -hmm. things stopped. When you had COVID and Zoom, parents began to see what was being taught in schools. That's why the Parents' Bill of Rights is so important. We need to know what's being taught. We need to know what the reading list, what do people have. And it's not like it's just gonna be on some website. No, because they can hide it. They're gonna have to send it to you. What are money's being spent on? And when those things happen, things change. So one of the things that happened in the wake of the January 6th, a bunch of companies and special interests, et cetera, they cut off the Republican Party. I'd argue maybe this is a good thing, right? Like the Chamber of Commerce, they took a hike, right? Like all these special interests out there, big companies, et cetera. After Virginia and New Jersey, they all started to try to come back in, right? Like I think you came out and said, you know what? No, you're not welcome here, right? Like we're the party of the people. Do special interests have a place in the Republican Party? Look, the thing I see from a standpoint, the chamber left the party a long time ago. In the last election, the chamber supported Democrats. The chamber gave a higher score to Democrats who are voting for this policy because they signed some letter and voted opposite of what the letter said, then Kevin Brady, who was chair of Ways and Means and brought us the tax cuts. I just assume they have as much influence as the future as they do now, none. Our responsibility is to the American public, and that's who's gonna drive it. And um, if special interest is the American public, then they have a say, but it's the American public we're going to. But you want that corporate cash out of the way, right? Like, I mean, that's not the that's not what's yeah, gonna drive I, I things in this Well, the thing Republican I see party. what's happening in the corporate world is they're becoming woke. Their philosophy should be running their business, not going day to day of what's happening in politics. They have a right to do what they want, but I don't think they'll be as productive if they lose sight of why the shareholders buy their stock is to run a business and the efficiency of that. A few things I wanna kinda of wrap up with here. First and foremost, what's your New Year's resolution, Leader McCarthy? Well, my philosophy is you can always learn something every single day. You can never have too many friends and let's change the course of history and make the next century the American century. And the way you do that is you gotta end one party rule in America with the Democrats. What's the craziest, wildest thing you've learned in your time here in Washington, D.C.? How have you changed the most? Changed the most? I mean, I don't know that I've changed the most. I still have as much fire in the belly. Um, the wildest thing I've learned is that I can go eight hours and 32 minutes without having to use the bathroom. <laughs> How'd you do it? <laughs> you know what, you know, people don't say that. It is the Democrats mocking me on the floor. I didn't intend to walk in and, and think, oh, I'm gonna break some record, right? And remember when we're debating this, it was at night. So it, it was a more harder time. I didn't know ahead of time that we were gonna even d debate that day. I like to drink a lot of water, so you know, I've I, I gotta visit the bathroom sometimes. I was so passionate and I'm so fearful of the damage that this bill could do to America. That's what drove me. And what was so great, as the Democrats mocked me, more Republicans came behind me. And a lot of them were just freshmen. They inspired me more. And I, I enjoyed being able to express to the American public what's in it, because at no other time did we have the ability to really tell people what was in this bill. 
The last thing I want to ask you about here, people are really down. They see, uh, you know, uh, in the in the base out there across the country, people are really depressed seeing the Democrats in complete control, seeing the left running roughshod over the country, seeing all this. I mean, just walking down the street here in Washington, D.C., half of everything's closed, the other half's boarded up. Uh, still, I mean, a year later after January 6th, a year after, you know, two years, three years into this pandemic, is there hope on the horizon? Is it going to get better? Oh, is it- tomorrow's going to be better than today, but this is what I want to say. Just as I talked about how it felt back like 1979, where Jimmy Carter told us to put a sweater on and the best days were behind us, there was another man from California that walked up to a podium, said, no pastels, but fly the bold colors and go to that shiny city on the hill. We all knew what Ronald Reagan meant by that, that that shiny city was America. And it would burn brighter and it would go from Maine to California further than you could think. Not one of us in America doesn't think that's not America. But we also think that the light's been dimmed a little. What's our goal? What's our job? What's our New Year's resolution? To join together, not to fight, but to join together, to climb that mountain, to recharge that light where it burns brighter than ever before. Remember, we are Americans. We're conceived in liberty and dedicated the proposition that we're all equal. This is exceptional country. There's a reason why we should lead. And we know what we can do. We watch what is happening. And I think the American public are waking up. So if you're a conservative, don't put your head down, put your head up. Remember, Ronald Reagan, I got this portrait in my office, and he's in color and he's smiling. Why? Because Reagan would tell you this. If you believe your conservative principles bring people more freedom, don't be angry, be happy. So people will wonder what you're drinking. People want to join you. And remember what Ronald Reagan did. He didn't say we're going to win with Republicans. He welcomed anybody into the party. So there are probably people in the past that probably never thought about being in this party or these policies. But they've watched the digression of America. They watch what one party rule has done in America. Go back to those people that normally wouldn't be with them and welcome us in. Welcome them to join us. Let's make this party bigger, let's make this country stronger, and let's make tomorrow better than today. Leader McCarthy, anything else that you know I should, should have been asking you? Uh, anything else you want to add? No, I, I've got to thank you, Matt, for all the work you do. It doesn't matter when we're up or when we're down, you're consistent. It's this the conservative philosophy and principle that can guide us. And remember that principle. Remember what we can do. And don't take the bait from the media. Because we have the ability, a good ability to win, they're going to attack us, they're going to say things that aren't true, and they're going to try to get us to fight. Let's be stronger than that. Let's unite and focus where we need to go. And I think you say that every single day, and that's what we can do because we know the difference if we break this one party rule. So anybody who's listening, go to firepelosi.com and join our team. Leader McCarthy, really want to thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you, my man. Yep, appreciate thank you. you. I got American parts. I got American faith. All right, that's all for today. Thanks so much to Matt Boyle, our Washington Bureau Chief, for taking the lead today. Of course, the future speaker, most likely, Kevin McCarthy. Uh, Jerome Hudson filled in for me on the live show today, Sirius XM Patriot, 6 a.m. Eastern Time, 1 a.m. Hawaiian, if you're keeping score at home. And thanks to producers Haley and Greg who make the show happen. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening.